Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Police found 27 corpses. Australia's worst serial killer. You know, I didn't want to get in the car. I actually... With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello there and welcome to Monsters Who Murder. Yes, it's been a while, but Amanda Howard, the serial killer whisperer, there have been reasons, haven't there? There has. We have had a a bit of a couple of difficult weeks that that have happened, plus the museum happened and then I'm in lockdown and um, and you lost a dear friend in John O'Coleman. That has just been a crazy couple of weeks. So um, I'm sure all of us send our love to to you uh, over Jono because we do know. I remember seeing the SMSs coming through whilst we were having lunches, so... Yes, Jono's infamous lunches. For those who don't know, uh, uh, a guy I worked with who was who I employed at uh, when I was running a TV show here in Australia um, died last weekend, and that just came at a time when there was a lot going on for both Amanda and I. It has delayed us just not being able to find a date to record. Yeah, um, we've been desperate to get this episode out, especially it being a part three. We do appreciate everyone's time. Time in waiting for us to get here and the support that you have still shown us on Uscreen and Patreon because that does help the podcast keep going. And, of course, if you want to watch this podcast as a video, just go to mwm.uscreen.io and you can watch per episode for $5 or take out a monthly subscription. And let me tell you, it's going to be worthwhile taking out a subscription because Amanda and I are going to power straight through into the next season. So we're going straight from 11 to 12. We've essentially had our two-week break between seasons. So we're ramming it right through, aren't we, Amanda? Like a serial killer ramming a knife. <laughs> I was about to say, I, I had an image there and that was it. You, you said <laughs> you it um... <laughs> and you know what? In any other forum, I would not make that joke. But I'm in a no. safe <laughs> space here. It is, it is. And and we do get some hate for, for joking around, but we need to keep it a bit light. It's it's such a dark topic that um, a lot of us on, on our Facebook groups do have that dark sense of humour, so I absolutely love that. But, yeah, um, we're going to ram it in, as you said. <laughs> and, look, a dark, dark sense of humour is OK. That does not mean that you think it is OK what these people do, what these killers do. It is a coping me- method. It's the way we deal with life. We find humour in the dark, in the stuff that would horrify us. Humans have a great coping method. Even if we're talking about the death of Jono, even when that news came through, I was still talking about how much of a pain in the arse he was. You know, I loved the guy like a brother, but my God, he and I had some corker arguments. And this is how (laughs) we deal with life. So... 
I know that there has sometimes been backlash to our humour or the fact that we laugh during this show, but this is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Anybody listening to this podcast and watching the podcast knows what we're like. And, you know, if this podcast isn't for you, completely fair enough. You don't have to listen. (laughs) But we are appreciative of all the people who do listen. You can tell I haven't been doing this show for a while because I just won't stop talking. (laughs) Exactly. And we're at the end of season 11, so I think most people are comfortable with our sense of humour. There's still those emails I get, and I hope you like the porn sites I've actually signed you all up for. But anyway, besides (laughs) that... They probably do. All right, we are going to be (laughs) covering Jennifer Pan very shortly to find out how this concludes. And you have to remember, we started off where she's playing an innocent bystander. It started to turn last episode, and today we will find out how the confession comes about. We're going through the full gamut with this story. Amanda, I'm actually very excited to hear the conclusion of this, but first I think it's time we get into some news. And Japan's Black Widow has lost her final appeal to avoid execution after her lawyers appealed her 2017 sentence, arguing that she suffers from dementia and does not understand the legal proceedings. 74-year-old Chisako Kakahai killed three of her partners, including her husband, and attempted to murder a fourth man. She pocketed millions in inheritance and insurance payouts after poisoning her victims with cyanide. Amanda, she used a matchmaking service to meet her victims. Yeah, there is a lot of people that have done that. There actually has been several other serial killers that have gone this same way. Um, Even people like Bobby Joe Long actually uh, found his victims through wanted ads and um, people selling stuff. So it's not new, uh, but she she got a few. So she was up to her fourth victim, um, but police were able to capture her so so quickly. Well, not so quickly because um, three people lost their lives. But yeah, going through the wanted, uh, go, going through the personal ads and deciding who you're going to select as your next victim, it's pretty dark. And you know, now that she claims that she can't be um, ex- executed because she has mental health issues just proves that she was actually um, able to sort of find these people and know the perfect people to kill to get all mm. of these millions. I think that there's that mens rea um, of, of criminology that actually proves that she knew what she was doing at the time. She knew it was wrong and she continued to do it. So um, I'm glad the appeal has uh, fallen down and she's off to execution. Look, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because to me, uh, her lawyers sort of figured we can't get off based on the evidence before the court. So let's try and change the narrative of that she didn't understand the legal process. Interesting. It's an interesting way of trying to get out of it. It is. And what they do, and this happens in American trials a lot, is that they say, oh, that the lawyer didn't tell them what to do properly and so they didn't understand what what the legal... um, proceedings were but yeah no (laughs) she knew what there was and she's tried all these different appeals and the fact that she's actually got appeals just proves how different it's been in in the Japanese court system over about the last 30 or 40 years because we're actually hearing about these cases now that we never used to so finding historical cases like this is near on impossible but um, we're actually seeing it now and you know she was sentenced in 2017 and it looks like that she's uh, going to be executed quite quickly so that's only a four-year turnaround so um it's it's slow for the japanese system um but we're now seeing that they're actually going for these sort of um sort of english-based criminal uh, justice systems 
Okay. Well, a convicted serial killer fears a shoelace might incriminate him in another case, according to the Sun newspaper. The report claims Levi Belfield has said he is extremely worried about his DNA being on a shoelace, which is a key in the Lynn and Megan Russell murder case. The serial killer told friends he fears the lace could see him convicted for the horrific 1996 killings. Now, Amanda, this guy... He's a piece of work, isn't he? He's currently in jail for killing schoolgirl Millie Dower and two women. Yeah, he is, and um, he's sort of uh, England's Ivan sort of per person. So we, we have someone that most other cases in England are now compared to. So while we have Ivan Milat, they have Levi Belfield. And he's actually the only person that has been sentenced to two life, life tariffs that he cannot be released. Once he finishes one life sentence and dies, he has to actually serve a second sentence. So it's almost like going back to the uh, the courts of Henry VIII with... with uh, people's heads on spikes basically so he is their worst of, of the worst that they claim and there's actually several other people that he, he's been linked to um, that this is sort of like the first of this next batch that we're going through because there's others um, you know there's Kate Sheedy, there's Amelia Dela, Delagrange that is also coming up that may be cases that he's linked to so it's going to be interesting to see if this one gets up and as, as we see he's actually said to people outside of the criminal justice circle that he's worried about this DNA and they've actually gone to the press and you know they've gone to the sun to actually blow this up. So um, if this DNA comes back, this may actually be able to link him to these other cases that he's suspected of but at this time hasn't been charged with. Let me ask you, why is he worried? If he's already serving two life tariffs, he's not getting out of jail before death, so why is he worried if he's found guilty on another murder? Uh, because it comes down to what has happened. Once they've actually able to uh, link him to this case, there can be parts of that evidence that will actually put him into more risk whilst he's, he's in jail. He's currently for one school girl and, and, and two adults. It's not as bad as several more girls that are coming forward because one's 13, um, one's 18, one's 17, and there's all of these younger girls that will put him in, into that pedophile group more so. I mean, he's, he's probably in protective custody anyway. Most of them are. But just to actually get that this next case it may open those floodgates and that's what he's he's concerned about okay well there are new calls to stop iconizing serial killers in popular culture as yet another film featuring ted bundy goes into production critics say that by turning serial killers into pop icons we are continuing to endorse misogyny and violence they say the women raped and murdered are often depicted as passive victims and mere numbers the article goes on to say when serial killers are exalted it diverts attention away from their illegal immoral crimes media production such as Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile and the upcoming American Boogeyman create a spectacle around serial murder as opposed to the harsh realities that surround it. By producing more Bundy-related films, the film industry is elevating the monster as US audiences are titillated by gore and extreme violence. This is a, a new argument to me, Amanda, and one that I'm interested in because we've heard the arguments about... Uh, elevating serial killers and, and, and making them famous. But this part about the depiction of their victims is a... It, maybe you've heard this argument before. I certainly haven't, that they just become uh, numbers and not a major part of the story, yet they're the ones who have died for this person to become famous. 
Well, I think they're infamous and not famous, and, and I think that's a clear distinction to make. But what they do is it's a very fine line to walk so do you want to see this girl being stalked do you want to see her being tied down do we want to see her being anally raped do we want to see him cutting off her head do we want to see him uh feeding her her, her legs to her mouth and all this sort of stuff do, you, do people really think that that is a better option that to make these victims that open and that um real in 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 these um um whatever it is in the in these arenas um do they think that that is going to make it better by actually having these uh victims go through fighting being terrified running up hills you know is is that a better option do they really believe that we need to almost demonize these victims by making them go through this trauma and say well that's what he did so now we we, we can't like the killer no one likes these killers <laughs> Yes, there is fan groups and there is, is um, fangirls and all that sort of stuff. I totally get that. But for most of us and most people that watch these films, like um, Shockingly Evil or whatever it's called, um, we're not there. We, we're there to see what he does to his victims. But we don't want to make it that graphic to show what they went through. I mean, I'm all for it. If you want to do that, go for it. But it's that fine line that then are they making it too gratuitous by actually bringing these victims to life? Is that a better option. Yeah, look, it's certainly an argument that keeps coming, and we've actually covered this a few times. And, you know, the fact is, there is something about the dark world of true crime that draws people in. And whether how you want to describe that psychologically is uh, an interesting, probably, thesis. But the fact is that people are interested in this and by yeah. taking it away from the mainstream you make it an underground thing where people will have more access to more gore and the yeah. fact is people can get across it by getting the surface level side of things and i know people on this who listen to this podcast do dig deeper and that's fine you know we're allowed to know what's out there who is the final arbiter yep. of what we can and can't see we live in a democracy we're allowed to make our own decisions and we've seen this just recently amanda with the martin bryant film that has just been released in cans it got a seven minute ovation now this yep, film exactly this film does not portray the events of port arthur what it does is it portrays this man, this psychologically damaged man. Now, as soon as it was announced that Nitrum, that's Martin Backwards, was being produced, everybody wanted it shut down without knowing what the story was about. It's now been at Cairns. It's called Disturbingly Dark, is how it's been described. It got a seven-minute ovation. Until yeah, we are allowed to watch this and judge for ourselves then we can't know whether this is a good portrayal or a bad portrayal. But what I can't stand is just because people don't like the idea of it, they want it cancelled. Yeah. And, and to, to go further in that, because they're actually harping on about serial killers collectively but what they don't understand is that we call it like the ted bundy case it's his name used rather than you know the 19 victims but for places like port arthur we call it the port arthur massacre but we don't go and call it you know the mycac deaths we, we don't use the victims names but you know 
the Christchurch event, you know, we don't use those people's names because they killed so many and we have something that we can use instead of their name. New Zealand's thing of, of not naming that perpetrator at all is taking that next step. But it's people like Ted Bundy. We call it the Ted Bundy case, um, you know, just Ted Bundy. But it's purely because he's the collective noun that we need to use for yeah. that group of victims. Port Arthur is different. But, you know, and and Port Arthur, again, brings up a whole other argument, which um, I've, I've had a great discussion with Rizzi, who is a Tasmanian, although she doesn't live there now. And she says that Tasmanians are very different and they feel that isolation and they don't want to see things like this go out in, into the world. Um, for half of the world, they haven't even heard of Port Arthur because Dunblane happened only one month before. That was the man going into the Scottish uh, preschool and, and killing all of these gorgeous children. You know, and so there is that case. And so we don't call them like they, they have cases. I mean, even David Berkowitz. We don't call it the David Berkowitz case. It's Son of Sam. So when we don't, when we can't use those names, we don't. Tate Labianca. You know. So it's it's just some some of these cases have that collective noun, and it is the serial killer's name. And the thing about people saying, oh, you know, we, we shouldn't call them uh, cool names. That's just press stuff, and it makes it easier. The backpacker killer because people don't know how to say Ivan Malat or. But it's also yeah, shorthand. It's also a way of letting yeah. people know quickly what. You you're talking about if you name a victim that isn't in the public eye and then you're having to say was killed by Ivan Milat the backpacker killer exactly. that's longer way of describing something when in the media you're always looking for shortcuts but we do name victims yep. when there's only one the story becomes about the victim and finding yes. the killer so exactly um yeah, well, there's an Ebony Simpson case, which happened in embargo just down the road. Most people wouldn't know the name Andrew Garforth, but they know the name of Ebony Simpson. Um, Anita Cobby, five killers, one victim. It's called the Anita Cobby case. So it's it's just a lazy shorthand way, as, as I you don't said, know if lazy is the way. It's the cases. way the story develops too. Yeah. So Anita Cobby, that was a murder mystery centred around that lady, and then the killers were found which is why it's known as the Anita Cobby case. When we start getting patterns like serial killers, that's when it becomes a collective noun for knowing what we're talking about, the backpacker killers. Yeah. Before we knew Ivan yeah. Milat was the killer, the, the common thread was that someone was killing backpackers. That's why it was described that way. You've got to understand yeah. how these things come to be. Exactly. And it's not about glamorising them. You know, it's just that it's so weird that Ted Bundy doesn't seem to have a nickname because he was all over the country. Um, he didn't, like, he did schoolgirls and he did women. He did all, all these different things. So that's the collective term used for that case. It's not about making them wonderful, like, like this article says. Absolutely. And just one final comment on this. All throughout our histories, we have always been fascinated with true crime. Australians made an icon out of Ned Killey, who was a bush ranger who had no hesitation killing people when he was robbing. So the irony 
that people turn around and say we shouldn't be glamorising these serial killers. No one's glamorising them, but we are interested in them. And for that, we don't have to apologise. People are allowed to like their own things. If you like knitting tea cosies, go and listen to podcasts or watch videos on knitting tea cosies. Some of us like true crime. We're interested and we want to find out more. Rant over. I told you. I haven't, you know, I actually have been speaking. I've been doing radio gigs. I've been doing my Andrew Robin Robbo show, but I've missed being ranting on this show. <laughs> well, you you made up for it, doll. <laughs> All right, let's get into the profile of the week. I know that you all want to see how this Jennifer Pan case concludes. That's coming up in a moment, but don't forget to watch the video version of this podcast. Just go to mwm.uscreen.io or you can always join our Patreon family at patreon.com slash mwmconfessions. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Police found 27 corpses. Australia's worst serial killer. Even though I didn't want to get in the car, I actually... With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. This week, we continue with the interrogation of Jennifer Pan. She employed a high school friend and several people who, for $100,000, would rob the Pan family and kill her parents. And so, late in the evening of November 8, 2010, Jennifer unlocked the front door of the family home before returning to bed. Three men then entered the home. Each was armed and soon took the family hostage, demanding all of the money kept in the house. Jennifer's parents were then taken to the basement where they were shot multiple times. Jennifer was left tied up but unharmed. Her mother would die from the injuries. Her father, Han, survived. We've now listened to the majority of the first interview, Amanda. Slade has taken Pan through the day twice. The second interview, he asks for her to go into further detail. And again, she is vague and tries to fill in gaps that he wants filled. Now, is it just me or this appears to be her way of ignoring, ignoring some of the gaps in her story? Yeah, so he sort of uh, knows what the first story was. And so going through it the second time, it's about filling in those gaps, as you said. But she can't remember what she said the first time. So what she says the second time isn't going to match. And so he's noting this. And as you said, she keeps going vague. She, she's trying to get out of this. She doesn't want to continue. She's done. She's told them what they need to hear. And she thought that was it and that she'd walk away as a victim in this. But Slade knows that there's something else going on. And so this is why he's keep making her 
her repeat things, go back to several sections that she said before, just to see if those uh, finite details that she gave the first time will be re repeated the second and third time. Mm. Okay, well, we start this week's episode with the moment that Pan has taken from her bedroom. Now, if you recall in the previous episodes, she kept saying how dark the house was. Also, two more things are now occurring. Take a listen. Did you take anything else from your room? Not when I was there, no. Not when you were there? No. Okay. Did he toss your room? I don't... While you were there? No. Okay. So he takes you, you're, you're let out, out, to, out of the hallway now, and what happens? And Are the lights in the hallway still on? Yes, but he's telling me to look down. Okay. And at this point now, he's behind me. He had grabbed me at the shirt, and he had pulled me in front of him and uh, was pushing me towards the stairs. Okay. What does he say? He keeps yelling, hurry up, hurry up. Do what we're saying, and no one will get hurt. Okay. And then he takes me down the stairs. And the lights on the main floor are all turned off. So, Amanda, this seems very different to the first interview. Yeah, well, Slade's now really, really cold. He's sort of mm. interrupting her, asking for tiny details, you know, because he sees if she's going to slip up or not. And, you know, instantly she said, yes, the lights in the hallway were on. Yet she has been saying in, in that whole first interview that, no, it was so dark, they turned off all of the lights and now the hallway's lit. So, you know, and, you know, then she says that they go downstairs and it's only dark down there. So which is it? And so he's seeing this and so he's interrupting her to try and get her to make these errors. So um, is it lit outside? Uh, yeah, I think so. And yet before Chase said it was dark everywhere, she couldn't see people's faces, couldn't couldn't make out that they had anything except dreadlocks and also a, a hoodie at the same time. So, you know, he's, he's no longer comforting her. He's no longer saying to her, it's okay, we'll get through this. He's now on to her. And so he is seeing a very different uh, storyline now. What a journey for him as an investigator, thinking you're dealing with the victim and then and comforting her and just trying to get the statement and then realising during the interview that, oh, no, hang on, she's involved. Yeah, it's it's very hard. And, and I think that most police officers go into most interviews believing that most of these people are going to be suspects. And that's why they have to interview them. Um, I know myself with, with my husband's death that um, I wasn't allowed to enter my house to become a crime scene. Um, I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone except for the police because they needed to interview me and all of this. So everything starts off as a crime and everyone's a suspect. So though he believed that she wasn't a go, going to be the eventual suspect, she, uh, he changed that when he realised that she was changing what she was saying, how she was saying it, adding details, removing details, uh, telling one thing and then saying a totally opposite thing next. So he's, he knows that this story is, is fake because, I mean, people tell stories and they will tell it three different ways and that is true. But you're not going to be confused between a hoodie and a bandana over his face to that this guy had dreadlocks. So, mm. you know, it's, it's very different to a person getting a statement confused as it is to a person 
person lying. Now, the other thing I noticed here was her body language. In the first interview, she spent most of her time sitting on her hands or making small gestures. Now she seems very guarded. Exactly. And th- this is what we did in, in the Patreon group, that we actually went through body language images like this. And this is a self-soothing. This is basically clasping her hands together in front of her, her chest. She's trying to make herself disappear in that room. She's trying to make her, herself small. She's afraid. It's like we would see an animal uh, in in the forest, like a rabbit would make itself small against a predator that would make itself larger. So this is what we're seeing now. He's now the predator and she's now trying to act as the victim. So she's Mm. trying to make herself meek and tiny like a bunny rabbit. And he is seeing this, that this is like major anxiety happening in her because it's not going the way she expected and now she's got to hide. Well, Pan is asked about her parents and what was happening with them and Pan actually seems to break. But does she really? All I could see was that... He had pushed her back onto the couch. And she Who kept pushed her? Number two. Okay. He was pushing her back onto the couch. And she she kept saying, where's my purse? Where's my purse? And the guy kept telling her to sit down. And I didn't want my mom to get hurt. Okay. That actually seemed genuine. Is she upset that her father survived and her mother did not? Did she want them both dead? Is she upset that... I'm confused, so I need your help. Is she upset that yeah. her, that someone survived or is she upset about her actions that if someone was going to die, she wished her mother had survived? Yeah, I think mum was going to be collateral damage. So she was being killed purely because she wanted to kill her father, who was the main instigator of her trapped life, that he was the one who made sure that she did well at school and did um, piano lessons and all of this. He was the one that she wanted to kill. If she wanted the cash, she needed to kill her mum too. So the fact that mum died and dad survived, that is the worst case scenario that she wanted was that that to be the eventual outcome. So I think she is mourning her her mum. She would have mourned her mum regardless even though she's the cold-hearted person who did it but the fact that dad survived i think that sort of rocked her a bit harder and that's why she's actually crying now that her mum was asking for her wallet and that's her last moments that she's got to remember of her mum knowing that she was the person who who basically fired the, the gun I'm just going to get Amanda to queue up those last few seconds so that I can have a listen to that, just to try and get a real sense of, uh, to see what you're saying about where her grief is coming from. Uh, Yep, we've got that ready to go. Let's have a listen. She she kept saying, where's my purse? Where's my purse? And the guy kept telling her to sit down and I didn't want my mom to get hurt. How many times does she get up and get pushed back down? I'd say she got up twice. Okay, so we've allowed a bit more to go there, Amanda, and she's gone from tears straight back into psycho mode. 
<laughs> yeah, she has. And, you know, it was a whimper and that was a true cry, I believe it, because she did try and hide her face. People that are fake crying want you to see their face They, they and, and they dab it and make sure it's okay to make you think that there's tears, but there's not. She, when she felt shame then, she actually hid her face with those tears. But then, as you saw, when he asked that next question, she sort of composes herself and goes straight back into straight talking. She didn't sort of lead in, into that still feeling that pain. So, mm. you know, it's just quite amazing that she does that. But those tissues, which are just off camera, but you can just sort of see a tiny, tiny bit of them, have still not been touched. And that's two interviews now. Interesting, interesting point. Now, Slade is really starting to push her. We're seeing that. And for those who are watching on the video through you screen, watch Pan's hands in this next clip. So what's going on inside the room with number two now in there? He's looking for my parents, my father's jeans, and he's asking me where is it. But I don't know where it is because they had turned the room around. And okay. then number one pulled me backwards and told me to sit at the top of the banister and tied my hands back, uh, tied my arm to the banister. Okay, now... Did, did you see them recover anything inside your mom and dad's room? I did not see anything, no. Are you sure? Because uh, we would, when we spoke the last time, there was some mention of some other money that went missing. U.S. currency. So how did that get found? I believe when they were looking for my father's wallet, they had opened the drawer, and there was a, it was in an envelope. What drawer would that have been in? On my, on the, if you're in, at the door where I was standing on the left side, the bedside table. Whose side of the bed is it? That's my mother's side of the bed. There's a bit going on in that clip. The first being the, the hands clenched for most of it. At other points comes out, but a lot of clenching going on in front of her face. Yeah, and there's a lot of wringing of, of her hands as well. Um, mm. And the the big thing is here he, that he catches her in a lie and, well, she, he catches her in several lies. I was about the to say, which lie are you that, talking about? <laughs> exactly. I mean, the first one she says that no cash was taken and then Slade goes, no, hang on a sec, you told me there was. And at this moment she actually starts wringing her hands and then she covers her ears. So she doesn't want to hear what he's saying. She's trying to block mm. out everything that's going on around her. She, she, she crumples down further. Her hands are, are, are over her ears. And then when he sort of says, you know, well, what, what's happening? You know, let's go back to have the truth kind of thing. She goes, well, I didn't see anything. So that C is really sort of um, a focus point, which means that she heard things because she covers her ears, but she didn't see anything. So, But then she says that they went to my, and then she corrects herself and says, um, the bedside table. So she 
she actually made an error there as well, saying that she had the cash in her drawer, but she, she had to correct herself. And then the second one is that, you know, she's she's sort of going on about this and the fact that she keeps sort of doing this, uh, pointing to her the left-hand side and then saying that's her mum's side of the bed and it's amazing that they actually trashed this room apparently looking for money in the, and couldn't find any and now it's, it's neatly in an envelope in a bedside table. So this has taken a very dramatic t- a change and considering that she's trying to make this the motive of why they were killed, it's strange for her to say, oh, they didn't take anything and then to go, oh, yeah, they took American currency. Why did she know her parents had American currency in an envelope in that bedside table? It's because she knew that this was part of the payment. Let me ask you this. So she was tied up on the parents' bed. Is that right? No, she was tied up to the banister at, at, at the bottom of the stairs. Okay, so she couldn't actually see what was going on in her parents' bedroom. Well, if that's the time frame that we actually use, more likely she was wandering around the house with them, say, so go there, get that sure. cash, go there, get that cash. Um, but if so we're going by her story... To avoid all of that. Yeah, she's saying that she only heard them. So she heard in all of that of them trashing the bedroom, which she apparently didn't see, but she could hear it, they actually went into that bedside table drawer and took it out um, and she only heard that. So I don't know how an envelope coming out of a drawer sounds but I don't think I'd be able to pick that out of everything else. Oh, although I've got a drawer here. You can hear a drawer and if I... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, who knew I was doing ADR Foley effects? There you go. Prepare for everything. Um. All right. But before we get to your final confession, Amanda, you've brought up the mobile phone, which was in her back pocket again. And and Slade decides he wants to see her do it, hoping he can make the action prove his case. Now, for those on the video, watch closely. And for those on the podcast, we'll also describe it after the clip. Have a look. You're now bound to this, to the, to the railing. Can you show me, can you stand up and turn around and tell me, just show on the camera, how your hands are bound and how you are against the railing. You don't have to sit down, I just need to see how you were. Just tell you. The only reason that I'm trying to, I need to do this is that I'm also going to ask you is that it, so take this back to, from, take it out of a traumatizing event, which it is, and put yourself into a more clinical position, because I want to see how you could physically get your phone out of your waistband. We're obviously going to need to know that. It's very important. So traumatize a way, now put yourself into a, just a state of, I need to mechanically show how I can get access to my phone. Okay, because that's obviously very relevant. I, we know you made the phone call, but questions are going to obviously raise is that if my hands are bound and I'm against the railing, how do I talk to a 911 operator? Okay, so clinically, this is now a clinical demonstration. Just stand up, focus in on how you did it. And I want you to stick that in your waistband as an example, okay? So take your just take your sweat off, because this will be a very smooth, very quick thing. It's a one-time demonstration. I'm not going to ask you to repeat it, but I need to go through it, okay? So just take your sweater off. Stand up and turn around. Put this in the side that you believe it was in. Great. Turn around. 
so that you only you're looking away from me. You're looking exactly like now. Here is where the banister is. Put your hands back behind your back, exactly how you remember they were. Okay. Now, and the, are you restrained from movement? How far can you move your hands from the banister? They tied my upper arm. Yes. Around the banister. Yes. But my hands were bound together. So your hands bound together, and this is the arm that's the, the strings wrapped around against the banister? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now how can you get to the phone? And how do you make the phone call? 911. Mm-hmm. And do you talk down like that? Yes, I'm yelling at the phone like this. And how can you hear? I turned the volume on max. Yes. So that's exactly the way that you're talking to her against the railing. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good enough. Sit down. Uh, okay, so she has her hands tied together and her upper arm is how she was tethered. That sounds ridiculous. And let's face it, it's, Amanda, it's a shoelace. Surely she could have snapped that. But I have to admit, I was hoping she'd fail, but she actually pulled it off. Well, she didn't. She didn't. So um, there is many things that were wrong with that. Now, um, on on camera, we actually saw it. So to describe it to uh, those that are just on on the podcast, uh, she said that her hands were tied sort of – hands facing opposite each other. Now, what is how they usually do it is that you actually had your hands tied together at the wrist, so both wrists would be touching rather than being crossed over. Now, the difference there is that if your hands are wrists together, they would just go quickly around and round and round and round, and that would be easy. If your hands are like this, they actually have to go over and loop it, over and loop it, open, and that's not what they do. So that's the first thing that he sees that is wrong. And then again, the upper arm being tethered is just absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, I I know that he thought this was going to be his case. He was going to break it here and there that she can't do what she did. But by doing what she did, it sort of proved her case a little. So he thought, Dan, that's not what I'm going to get her on. But it's also, you know, the fact that she says, oh, I will turn the volume up to maximum and things like that, that were good answers, but they weren't convincing. But yeah, I keep talking about the mobile phone and that's because of this, because the way her hands are tied is not how hands are tied and no one gets tethered by the upper arm. And again, that would have to be loop around. You'd have to take your hand out and take your hand out. So yeah, so wrists together tied up is how people get tied up. They don't get tied up like this because you do have to do that loop around. So he knows that that part's wrong, but he just let her go with that. Gotcha. Okay. Now, going back to Pan's education and the lie she told to cover up the fact she had failed high school, Slade wants to know how she got that over her parents. So for the last year and a half since you chose, the ultimatum was given to you, as you, in your words, it's either Daniel and or your family. Yes. And you say that you chose your family and you stayed home. What have you been, when, when you say, I stayed home, what is your routine? Tell me for the last year and a half, what, what have you been doing? I have been continuing my piano studies and my parents um, enrolled me back into school. Into college. Into college. At first, I didn't have enough marks to get into the program I wanted, so I had to do one year of, uh, like, refresher course of a calculus high school credit. And they never said to you, you can get in and graduate with a, a science degree, but you can't take that and now get in. They never question you about college now that you can't, you don't have the marks to get into college. How did you get around that? 
I lied to them and said that calculus wasn't a big thing when I first applied uh, when science, but now calculus is more of a mandatory course. Okay, why was it important that Slade asked her about that? Well, if we go back to episode one of this trilogy, um, when she tells the story the first time through, there's no ums and ahs, there's no pauses, there is just that flat cadence. And he's just asked her about the lie she told her parents, and it was exactly the same. So he's now seen the, the vocal pattern she has when she lies by asking her about a lie that he knows is a lie. So this is just to say, okay, because Shay's been going um and ah and oh, I can't do this, and it's a trauma and refuse to stand up to do the mobile phone scene but when he says well how did you lie to your parents what were your lies she just went blah 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 same cadence as she had with the first thing so it's just showing that benchmark that he thought was there but seeing it now as a second chance to actually say what he what she had said as as the truth it doesn't happen it goes with that same first cadence ah okay well Slade then leaves the room and Pan talks to the female officer who is in the adjoining room listening to the interview. I'm just going over everything and like pieces and hmm? I'm just I'm just going through everything and I just it's just like pieces here and pieces there and I don't I don't want to say something wrong or like just because I think I'm overthinking everything and it's just like yeah. I don't think you can... I mean, the truth is the truth, right? It's not, you know, and it's not going to be wrong. No. Okay, it's, it, it is It is what it is. And... Um, no, just like with the details and everything, like it's just... I want to get it right so like everything could be... Everything could be right. Okay. But it's just like it's pieces and... Yeah, but I mean, you know, you know, all the pieces are gonna, they're not, they're all gonna come together, and you're, it's, it's all gonna fit, right? Because what you're gonna be, what you're saying is the truth. I'm just trying to, like, every time I think of those things, it just, it gets me all worked up. But I have to think about it, but I don't, I don't want to. Interesting she doesn't want to get worked up. Watching that video, she's pacing around that room. She's agitated, definitely agitated. She is, you know, and I like that she says, you know, I don't want to get worked up, but she's so... Um like flatlined so it's, it's just amazing that she thinks that she can get emotional but yeah this pacing and she's rocking backwards and forwards on on her two feet these are all self-soothing things that the pacing is because she has a lot of um adrenaline rushing through her body her body because she's in fight or flight mm. so feeling like that she needs to sort of use that energy up or she's going to start shaking she's going to start feeling sick her head's going to go and she's going to get a migraine things like that happen if you actually try and deny your body that movement that it needs because she wants to run out of that room the fact that as soon as he, he leaves she stands up and stands at the door and talks to the officer rather than sitting in in her seat shows that aggravation that she's actually going through um that manifesting in, in this way rather than just sitting there calmly knowing it's the truth. The fact that the officer says, well, if it's the truth, it, it doesn't matter, you know, it's going to be fine. And she's knowing that she's lying about everything. So she that sort of makes her feel a bit more awkward once again. So because the that officer knows it's, it's fake as well because she's been listening to this whole interview mm. in the other room. 
Now, look, something we often see in, t in interrogations is the offer for, of an alternate scenario. Like, you didn't do it. I did it. And, and Slade proposes this. He suggests that maybe her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Daniel, is responsible. Now, how would you feel if, you know, like, Daniel is the one who's, through, through whatever activity that he's engaged in and you've been around but not necessarily having an understanding because you're seen with him, that he's brought this back to you? I don't know if that's in fact happened. I'm trying to find a rhyme or reason for why your house was targeted. I'm still trying to figure out how they got in your house. Like you didn't hear, you didn't hear a doorbell. You didn't hear a door knock. You didn't hear a door kicked in. You didn't. I was. I said I was watching no, TV on the phone. I. I don't know how. Yeah. I, I. I know. We went over that back and back and forth. We don't know how. So somehow they got into your house by getting through your mom down on the lower level, right? Because she's the only one who's down she's there. She's the only one down there. So it's very confusing. Um, we do have surveillance cameras from the area, right, that explain that will hopefully, but it's, it's, you know, that's still a work in progress. Um, but generally random events are not in most cases random there's a rhyme or reason why they've come to your house but from what you've told me inside the house the only thing that you hear them saying to you is they're looking for money they're not looking for a specific quantity of money no do you ever hear number one telling number three about the quantity of money that he's recovered no I don't hear that. All the comment you hear from number one really is, is, is it's time to go. It's, we've been here too long. We've been here too long. Yes. And number three was the one that says, was, was my father and all I could, what I heard from him was basically, where's more? You're lying. <sighs> so you're telling me that you, you had no involvement in what happened. Meaning, not saying how the outcome came, but you you had no involvement in in any type of illegal activity that would have drawn you or the attention of you to have bad people come to your house looking for large sums of money. You're not involved in this any which way, because the question obviously stands, Jennifer, is you're upstairs and they're downstairs, no. right? So it's a natural concern when, why would they leave you alone? Why would they not do the same to you? This is a moment. I actually believe that crying is real, Amanda. 
It was, and she had her hand to her throat. Mm. She was uh, displaying that she was being attacked and she's uh, covering her most vital organs. So this is a response to realise that she's getting blamed and he's sort of putting it to her saying, you know, I can't believe that people would come here. Maybe it's Daniel. You know, why would they target your house? And you're saying that you aren't involved because you're upstairs and they're downstairs. She knows now that he doesn't trust anything that she said. And so Mm. that crying now is because she's upset about herself. She realises that after, I think, about four hours, he has just come to her and went, yeah, no, 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 it's lies. It's an interesting turnaround, isn't it? Because she believed he was buying what she was selling all this time. This is the moment she now knows, ah, okay, they're now starting to think I'm involved. It's coming undone. And that's why the tears are real. No tears for mum. Well, possibly some tears for mum. Yeah, a little bit. No tears for dad. Plenty of tears for herself when she's facing it. And Slade sees his opportunity. And watch now, because he goes in both barrels. Okay. There's no... You had no threats. And again, we're back to the fact that you admittedly lied. Okay, not to me, right? Not to me. No. You admittedly lied... You've lied to your parents, right, about going to school. You've lied to, to Danny about being, Daniel about being raped and about receiving a bullet. Who's to say this whole thing isn't a lie? That what you're telling me is a lie? Because if you are lying, it's the most cold-blooded thing that I've ever faced in my life. There is nothing that you've said to me today is a lie. And I, I want to just put a little preamble. Not, nothing in here that you might have mistaken because of order of events. I'm saying to you right now, is there anything throughout the course of your statement today where you've lied to me? From your interaction with Danny, Daniel, from your, I'm not involved in drugs and I don't have anything to do with them and we don't have large sums of money. What about life insurance policies? Do your parents have life insurance policies? I, I think, I, I don't know. You don't I know, know they had a, they had a, I, I have one of myself. Yes. And uh, my mom, uh, they used to have one for me when I was younger. Okay. But uh, half of that went to education, half went to uh, life insurance. And when they found out I, I, uh, I didn't go to university, they, they asked for the money back. So hang on a second here. You told, to me that, you told me that they never knew you didn't go to university. When did they find out that you didn't go to university? I told them that I graduated, but I never went to university. That I went for two years, but I never finished. Okay. Now, I like the way he's doing this. He's started by saying, you've lied. She's 
taken aback and he says, not to me, but to your parents. Now, he obviously knows at this point she's lying to him, but he's sort of gone in, put her at a little bit of ease... And then asking the question, have you lied to me? I think the way he's approaching this is very, very good. I know. This is amazing. And the fact that uh, she is now very upset because he has gone along with the story. You know, he, he has corrected her here, here and there. The big lies he hasn't, you know, the the hoodie and, and the dreadlocks, he hasn't mentioned that those differences. So he's allowed her to be comfortable because she, she, he hasn't doubted her. And that's just part of his act to her um, while she has told his story back. And now we have a huge lie about money and instantly he's like, well, whoa, 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 because she now realises that she just gave up a huge motive and, mm. you know, she she had the opportunity to say, no, I don't know and stop there, but she had to keep going and say that she had a life insurance policy and that she cashed it in and it was supposed to go for education and she didn't use it, then they found out and wanted that cash back. There's the motive, bang, right there, she's done and he knows it. And so he's he, found, he had her fall into a trap so easily. I mean, not easily, it's been four hours of, of tape to get to this point but she now realizes that uh he's he's not a, a friend he's a foe yes and i i do find it interesting that because he started planting possible motives were you due money and she has to stop and think in that clear moment yeah do i just pretend it doesn't exist or is there a paper trail that would prove that I did know about it. So I might better say, oh, yes, they had something, but, you know, I, I'm not really sure. So it's that classic game of cat and mouse. But then in this next clip, Amanda, he puts the motive to her. Now, back to another very difficult question. But if I don't ask it, I'm going to be, you, it's an obvious one. The resentment that you had, that you may have had towards your parents for the interference in your relationship and your life and essentially locking you down in your house. At the end of the day, I love my parents and I chose to be with them. And if I wanted to, I could have just left, but I didn't. I wanted to stay with them and take care of them. So this wasn't some evil plot that you thought up to... Oh, my God, no. No interaction, no belief, no... You didn't have anything to do with this thing at all, whatsoever. Oh. I declare, Mr. Slade, how could you accuse me of such a thing? Oh, my God, no! Uh, <laughs> There's gambling here. I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Um... Uh, She's being very stoic, but it was an interesting reaction there. It was, and she was ready for this question. This is one that she has to believe someone is going to say, are you involved? And she answers it straight away. But she's still in that shocked pose with the, you know, the hand had the chest. She's still in anxiety mode because she's realising now that she has made mistakes and she doesn't know what mistake she's made that has made him believe, not believe her story. So, um, yeah, she has no idea that this 180 was coming and, you know, but 
there's still no crying. You know, Chase says, oh, I love my parents. Of course I chose to stay with them purely because there was probably a threat of you walk out this door, we don't have a daughter. And she realises that there's mm. more ka-ching to come if she stays. So this is about money and this is how uh, it's all come about. And it's just amazing how Slade just made that change and she's gone into defence mode now rather than just offensive mode where she just told a story. Yeah. Well, Slade then leaves the room to answer uh, the knock we heard earlier. And on his return, it's 20 minutes later. And let me tell you, things have changed. How are you feeling? Sorry, you really scared me. Did I? What did I scare you about? Sit down. Sit down and, and t- take a load off. Tell me, how, tell me how you're feeling and how I scared you. I don't want you walking away from here thinking I'm evil. I want you to walking around from here thinking that this guy is helping investigate my mom's murder and he's going to turn over every stone possible to make sure that we catch the people who do that. That's what I want you feeling. So I don't want you walking away from here thinking that I'm a, I'm, I scared you or I'm, I'm a bad man. Sometimes we have to ask very, very difficult questions, but it's my job, okay? And you would expect that from me. And it's not, you're not the only person that we're asking this stuff of, right? But you're the most obvious person that we have to ask this stuff to. And there's, it's just, it's just the way we operate. It's the way we have to operate. It's a tough job to, to, to deal with someone's murder. And there's some very bad people and there's some very tough questions that need to be asked. So you have to, I hope you understand that. I understand that, it's just, it's hard to take. Have you lied to me? No. No? You haven't lied to me about anything? I said whatever I could to help. Okay. So, if you've always told the truth, the truth will never hurt you. It may get you into a bit of trouble, right? The truth can get you into trouble if you've done some things wrong. But generally, in most cases, if you tell the truth, you'll always be fine. So that's that's the avenue. That, that That's the avenue you have to think about. And, and what you, I can always, I never do anything wrong if I tell the truth. And if I've made, if I've said some things that are lies or I've held something back because I think it might hurt me, those are the things that will cause people to look at you more intently because the question is is why would that person do that to me they've got something to hide right so you know the fact that you've lied to your parents over a long period of time the fact that you lied about to daniel about those other two events you know those are disturbing but i don't live in your shoes and i would never judge you on that fact but from an outsider looking in, to have to live under those conditions, to have to lie continually, you're going to ask the question, why? So, Detective Flores, I know we are a big fan of yours, and Amanda and I did start the Detective Flores Appreciation Society website, but we're going to need your crown because we have found a new detective who knows how to do an interrogation. So if you could just send that back to me, that'd be great. Rob McKnight, you know the address. Oh, um, got to go. Uh, Amanda. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
Amanda, that was Detective Flores on the line. Um, we remember him. You and I love his work as far as interrogating people. But I think we've got a new contender for the crown. Absolutely. You know, uh, Slade here, you know, even though he does have a porn star name, it just, he is so good with this. He has gone through this multiple times. He hasn't repeated his words. He hasn't patronised her. He's laid it pretty straight. And he's basically saying, this is your final chance to tell me because I'm coming down hard if you don't. And he's sort of pushing and there's no grey area. It's all black and white. We know what he's pushing for. And she now realises too that... Uh, good cop, bad cop, it's just changed, it's now going to be bad cop because he's going to get what he needs. And sorry, Detective Flores doing Jodie Rice. I think Detective Slade doing Jennifer Pan has the crown. Indeed. Uh, did you wonder what I was doing there when we came out of that No, I clip? loved it. Loved it. I loved it. Those, not... those that are only listening, Robert had a, a phone to his ear. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I'm not sure it worked for the audio version, but anyway. <laughs> uh, look, the second interview ends and Pan is once again brought in for a final time for another four-hour interrogation, this time with Detective William Gates. Now, he's known as Bill, as in Bill Gates, but there you go. <laughs> Maybe he does a bit of computer work on the side. And Gates <laughs> is a very different type of detective to Slade. He reads her rights and then lets her tell her story again. And after two hours of telling her to confess, she finally breaks. But what she says is shocking. Yeah, you need to talk to me. Okay, but let's get back to how they got there, why they got there, okay? because we know that you helped get this thing in order, right? That's what we need to start with. Then we're gonna work through the case, okay? But we gotta start. What happened to me? That's, I don't know if you guys caught that. That very last moment, Amanda, she says, so what happens to me? It's always been about her, hasn't it? <laughs> It, it is, and and this is why it's been hard to get to that place because she has been there for self-preservation. So now that she's been asked to just lay it out, they know the truth, they've done the the rights and all of that, you know, but this is basically she wants to know if she confesses what is going to happen. Is she going to get death penalty, which she's not because she's in Canada, you know, but she wants to know what her outcome is, you know, not like, oh, my God, well, I get to save my family again. None of that's what happens to me. Me. We're seeing a very different Jennifer this time, aren't we? Well, yeah, she's been broken down now, so she mm. knows that she has has been caught. And this guy has just gone at her for two hours saying, just confess, just confess, just confess. That's why we haven't played it, because it is two hours of just that. You know, but she's gone from that confidence. You know, we saw at the end of the last interview that she'd sort of started to hunch over, hide her face, clasp her hands in front of her chest and all of this. And now she's slumped forward with her head basically on her knees. She has shut down. She's in, in fetal position, basically, because she knows that she is that wounded rabbit. She's hiding. She doesn't want to be here. And she knows that they aren't going to accept anything from her now except her confession. And I will point out once again, guys, there's no lawyer in the room. This is where they go wrong. Yeah, well, we don't want to give serial killers or killers of any kind uh, legal advice. Um, no, well, I mean, it makes our, our, our podcast very hard to do if we don't have these confessions, I must admit. Exactly. Um, what's also interesting about this is the way he's consoling the confession out of her. He's 
very intimate. He's stroking her head or the back or her back, and she's hunched over, and he's almost hunched over with her as it's almost like hugging the confession out. It's really interesting. I want to listen to this next bit because um, she's. This has been going for three hours with this guy, but she does begin to whisper her confession. And after we hear this, Amanda, what I want to know from you is would Slade have achieved the fi- this re- final result or was it important for him to set it up and this guy come in and hit the home run? Let's listen. I want your thoughts after this. We've got a confession, but a a lie. She's now saying she was the target of her own hit. Yeah, so um, going back to your first question, though, uh, the reason that this detective has come in, Bill Gates, is because um, she had built a rapport with Slade, but then when Slade went bad cop, she put up that barrier. And so she realised then that he was a foe, as I said, and so she was no way go- going to talk to him anymore. She was done. So now they've brought in, like, the jovial Santa Claus type of, of man who's the gentle grandpa sort of sort of figurehead, and so he's doing the gentle, gentle. We've gone back to good cop now. But, yeah, as you said, she's just gone in with a confession, but the confession is that they were supposed to kill her and not her family. It just proves that she is just trying to self-preserve. She's trying to get out of this, saying that it was a a suicide by friend that got out of hand and that, you know, so all of the other stuff about the money and being tied up and everything no longer makes sense in this new scenario, and she doesn't even realise that. But he is just trying to comfort her. He's close in, which means that she can't move. So if she does want to set up, she can't because he's literally on top of her basically from his chair, and so he's keeping keeping her in this position so she can't actually sort of move and and expand and sort of feel confident in this new lie. So it's sort of him saying to her, yeah, you're staying like that because you're not telling the truth. So she finally sits up in her seat and then explains her elaborate suicide to Gates.
you discuss with this person? Does she really think he's buying this new story? No, but she's going to try it anyway. As we said, mm. the officer, like Slade before, offered a second option and she didn't take it, saying it was all Daniel. So now she's trying her own different scenario to see if it would happen. But what has come of this is that she has confessed to hiring someone to kill mm. someone, regardless of who, who the victim is or was meant to be. But she's given enough in information now that Gates says, OK, we have confessed to this part. I don't believe that you were the target. So now we sort of have to go through that and... Uh, work out why they killed the parents and not you if you want me to believe this story so he has um totally taken what she's saying and she's confessed but not confessed yep well the confession continues and amanda i have to say gates's body language has changed completely yeah, well, um, what has happened is that she is has sat up, so she now is trying to use this new story, and so he has sat back too, but now he's got his arms crossed, he's sitting back, he's distanced himself from her. So that close grandpa has now said, well, you've just admitted to um, killing for hire, so now you're the bad guy, and now we're going to actually go down this road. Yeah, well, he lets her talk for another 45 minutes about her suicide plan before he finally hits her with it. You let them in the house. You let them in. We know that. You went downstairs and you opened that door for them. We know that. Jen, you did leave the door open for them, didn't you? Pardon? Yes. Yes. And that's why you went downstairs earlier in the night, right? After your mom got home, what did you do? And was it locked? No. You made sure it was unlocked? Yes. Okay, then what? Amanda, it's been a long ride, but we are there. Yeah, so she's crumpled over again because she doesn't want to be there, but she's answering the question. So he's not talking about who the victim is. He's saying, so you went down, you unlocked the front door. So yep. this is all the parts of, of the confession. So A plus B does equal C, regardless of her suicide story. This is about her hiring someone to kill, and she was the, she was the mastermind behind it all. Indeed. Well, then Gates lays it all out. At this point in the investigation, okay, I'm going to be arresting you for murder, okay? Also attempted murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Do you understand that? Just have to tell me if you understand those charges. Just say yes or no. Yes. Okay. Well, he then reads out her rights once more before the interrogation is completed. Amanda, she she's done because at the trial she was found guilty of all three charges and sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 25 years. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a long ride, this one, but it's one that was asked for and I think it's been an amazing journey to see someone go from victim to perpetrator. I feel like I need a cigarette and a glass of wine and I don't even smoke. Um, but it does show how they the, the interrogation is so important. Uh, we saw Slade go in there with his own narrative. He just assumed she was a victim. The more he spoke, the more he picked up on the uh, inaccuracies, the retelling of the story in different ways, he was starting to find holes and we saw him change and the way he questioned change. This is a great investigator who basically blew it open that she was guilty within the space of an interrogation. Yeah, and that was like within that first to the police station just after the the case was called in and so this started like hours later and you know she, she thought that both her parents were dead then she found out that her father was still alive and he sort of went through and the perpetrators look like this and then they look like this it just shows how they can actually manipulate what's happening because they can see how things are changing and how people retelling a story that's a lie is so difficult to keep straight and that's why they do it over and over again because things like the, the dreadlocks and and mm. the hoodie it just it's the perfect example that proved that she was lying but he doesn't correct her he just lets her go with that and and she got more sort of um descriptive about it and the more she did that the more that she was basically hanging herself with it all mm. well thank you very much amanda next week we are going straight into season 12 because of the delay we've had getting this episode out we're going straight into season 12 and amanda tells me it's going to blow my mind is that right, oh, Amanda? I can't wait for you all to see it. It's going to be amazing. I've actually I've hinted to it on the Patreon page as well because I'm so excited about this case. When I watched it for the first time, it blew my mind. And that's mm. why I'm not telling anyone what, what it is until we go into it raw. And, Robert, you're not allowed to see any of it until we go into it because I want you to see this raw for you to make your assumptions about what's happening. Oh, my God, I can't wait. I can't wait either. And if you want early <laughs> access to that, you can go to mwm.uscreen.com io for the video feed or you can subscribe to Patreon at patreon.com slash mwmconfessions for the audio feed. We'll see you next week with the mind-blowing episode. I can't wait. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.